This week we say goodbye to him. They say that an army marches on its stomach. And as we march as a nation towards Brexit, I'm going to explain how British food and farming can power Britain. And hello to her. We are a lobbyist organisation. We need to represent as many members as possible. History in the making at the NFU. Plus, with a Siberian blast arriving, could it affect the end of the beat campaign? Nick Morris will update us and Sean will have cold weather agronomy advice too. And after the weather, we look ahead to Tuesday's Lincolnshire Farming Conference. This year, um, the conference is going to be farming in the future. So we're we're looking at... uh, how, how farming may change in terms of mechanisation over the future. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Good morning. I want to talk to you about something important. I want to talk to you about something that we're in danger of taking for granted. I want to talk to you about something which has been visibly missing from the conversations about Brexit and the future of farming. I want to talk to you about food. They say that an army marches on its stomach. And as we march as a nation towards Brexit, I'm going to explain how British food and farming can power Britain. It was a forthright message from Maury Raymond opening the NFU conference in Birmingham this week, his last as president. With DEFRA Secretary Michael Gove in attendance, it was a chance to lobby hard for a Brexit that works for British farming. Food is at the heart of the British countryside. Food is at the heart of the British economy. Food should be at the heart of plans to ensure that Britain's future outside the EU is healthy well-nourished and high quality. Well, for his part, Mr Gove told delegates he's working hard to put food and farming at the heart of government policy. And that's why in this job I've been determined to ensure that the voice, influences and concerns of those who produce our food has been amplified as much as possible and put at the heart of government thinking in every policy area. I fear that in the past the concerns of farmers and food producers were given insufficient weight in the design and implementation of UK government policy. And Maurig, as you reminded us, some of the comments of previous holders of this office reinforce the fact that the interests of farmers and food producers were not given sufficient weight. DEFRA and its predecessor department, MAF, were kept unjustifiably low in the Whitehall pecking order. And that was a mistake. We'll have reaction to what Mr Gove had to say in a moment. A fair few said much of it was hazy. Uh, first, though, as mentioned, it was Maury Raymond's final conference as NFU president. On Thursday, the elections took place for a new top team, and Manette Batters was elected the first woman president in the NFU's 100-year history. She's told Andrew Ward what her priorities are as new president. Well, I laid out sort of four key areas um, in my election manifesto. One was really fundamentally around our membership. You know, we are a membership organisation. Um, we are a lobbyist organisation. We need to represent as many members as possible. And so, you know, the key point for me is remaining relevant to all those businesses, very diverse membership. The second point was around bigger, bolder, more ambitious campaigns. You know, campaigns are how you shape the world. And and we really need to reach out to our consumer. Um, We've got huge support now for buying British, but they really need to understand what our standards are about. You know, we we look for a red tractor. What does it mean? Um, So big, bold campaigns. The third part, and I think an important part, was around supply chains and functionality and fairness. 
fairness in those supply chains. We're going to be farming with less direct support. Um, we've got to look at, you know, farmers are taking the bulk of the risks, they're doing the bulk of the work, they cannot push those costs up the line. How do we achieve fair trade when you remove that direct support? And of course, a massive challenge for, for arable farmers here, you know, who've had some really dire situations with harvest and weather for the last um, few years, very variable across the country. Um, you know, you lose the direct payment, you have this high regulatory framework and cost. Uh, where are the opportunities for them? Um, our growers, our poultry farmers, our pig farmers, you know, this has got to be about a broad approach uh, to all farming sectors. So, you know, those four areas were, were really what I picked out so that the new office holder team can, can embrace, you know, that vision and, uh, and hit the ground running. We've just heard uh, Michael Gove talking, giving his outlook on the future of UK farming. Do you believe what he said? Do you hope he keeps to his word? Look, he's, he's a consummate politician. Um, he's, he's incredibly capable on his feet, so he speaks very well. There's a, there's a lot of really good stuff in there that he's saying. He's talking about, you know, really taking food seriously, a national food plan. Um, I, I felt that, the, for me, the concern is still the, the lack of clarity on trade. Um, and I, I fear we're going to live with that. You know, I think it's, it's going to run to the wire probably before we know whether we will have a deal with Europe uh, and to a certain extent what that deal looks like. So, so the big risk, the big sort of elephant in the room, if you like, is, is crashing out under WTO rules with, without a plan in place. And, and, and that's a live risk. And that rather overshadows um, the, the good plans that, that he has. I think there's also a concern, Andrew, around, you know, this total fixation on public monies for public goods. And, you know, we within the NFU, we, we are absolute supporters of the environment. It's one of our cornerstones. Um, but we feel it is, is one part of the package, you know. And if you put all your investment... Um, into the environment, actually you're going to fail the environment because if you've got to focus on, on volatility, market failure, resilience um, and we've also got to focus on productivity measures, measures. so those are our three cornerstones we feel certainly two of those are vital to delivering for the environment so I'd like to see him being a, a bit more focused on, on real sort of commercial farming businesses and, and how we shape uh, the thinking for those businesses going forwards rather than just taking the, the sort of nice soft lines that don't really make much difference to yours or my business. Lynette Batters, the new president of the National Farmers Union and someone I'm sure we'll be hearing from even more over the coming weeks and months. Stuart Roberts was elected vice president with Guy Smith as deputy president. And of course, let's not forget the others who put their names forward. We heard, of course, from uh, Charles Sirkham a few weeks back. Richard Bowyer put his name forward. And had he been elected, he'd have been the youngest ever office holder in the union's history. Uh, it wasn't to be this time, but he's uh, certainly one to watch. What did he make of what Michael Gove had to say at the conference, though? Personally, I'm disappointed that he isn't releasing this consultation paper and um, where we're going with future agricultural policy. I would have liked to see that now. I don't think the time is to wait. I think the time is to get on the front foot. He did mention about trying different pilots again, what we mentioned in this session as well. So I think that's an opportunity. Yeah. Um, he spoke a lot about rural broadband. I do question if the government should be doing that already, not just DEFRA's role as well. Um, and he did speak about uh, reducing the amount of farm audits. Um, but 
I really would have liked to have seen him talk about that consultation paper or at least give us a specific date when that consultation paper was coming out. I think it was interesting as well. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think it was interesting as well. There was one question about hair coursing, wasn't there, and, and fly tipping and things. And are the government going to actually realise how serious it is and, and let the punishment match the crime? And uh, I think you said, didn't you, by this time next year, we might have something that or might have done something about it. Well, I mean, a year's time for that, you know, to get on board with that is, is, is a bit too long. Yeah, no, it's absolutely ridiculous. And, and that just, that just emphasises the importance of the NFU to keep lobbying and keep banging on the doors mm-hmm. and make sure everybody hears, yeah, here's, here's what's happening out actually in the countryside. A lot of respect actually for Myrig, he did address that, that issue and he, yes. he said actually we talk about the environmental work that farmers do but that can all be damaged by somebody tipping these massive mm. Arctic wagons on your farms as well. So I think yeah, credit to Myrig but we need, yeah, we obviously need to keep banging on the door. Richard Bowyer speaking to Andrew Ward in Birmingham. County advisor Andrew Wilson was also there. Andrew, what did you make of Michael Gove's message to conference? That was uh, what most people were waiting to hear, and we were all hoping that um, there would be some uh, key policy announcements uh, or some uh, or, or, or some actual facts of what would uh, the farming landscape would look like going forwards. Uh, we got a little bit uh, from uh, from uh, Michael Gove, the Secretary of State, on that, and uh, and certainly uh, he made some key points on there. Uh, he wants to do a pilot source scheme, which is good because uh, certainly Labour is a big concern for um, the uh, the agricultural industry as we do rely on an awful lot of, uh, of sort of EU27 uh, uh, labour over here in uh, particularly in Lincolnshire. Um, he's very, very keen on a rollout of uh, rural broadband and wanting to make sure that all farming uh, businesses have access to high-speed broadband and 4G, uh, which got a rousing applause from all present there. And he's also very keen to um, to back standards on uh, trade deals. And, uh, and that by that, I mean that he won't won't undermine British farming standards on any future trade deals that are done around the world, which is reassuring because I think the the chlorinated chicken argument um, that sort of reared its head about six months ago uh, got a lot of the farming industry worried that uh, we would suddenly be uh, getting swamped by a wall of uh, uh, agricultural products from around the world that wouldn't necessarily be farmed to the same standards that we, we have here in the UK. Uh, but Mr Gove wants to maintain and improve standards that we have here in the UK, which is, which is fine. That's, uh, that's certainly what we're looking for. And um, and he has a very uh, broad vision for what he wants uh, agriculture to be post-Brexit. He seems to support agriculture. Um, we do give thanks to, uh, to Michael Gove for making agriculture a centre in the, in the government's uh, Brexit negotiations. And he's uh, put it on the agenda with the Treasury. So we're very fortunate that we do have a, a big political hitter um, in charge of, uh, of agriculture. I have to say, a lot of the... Uh, uh, address that he gave was um, this will be forthcoming, this will be in the future, we're hoping this will be covered in a report coming out uh, in the near future and we would have perhaps liked a little bit more detail um, already because he has been in the post for a while um, obviously it's uh, 2016 since the vote and we still don't really seem that further on with where we are he did make a point on farm subsidy and I will be it's very clear that he will be looking at capping um, farm single uh, basic payments on the larger ones and wants to support uh, areas of farming such as the uplands and, and sees the value in them as a, as a public good. So, um, so there's a lot of information covered and more detail will come out. But overall, I think we have to remain optimistic and the NFU has a lot of work to do once this consultation document comes out and we're able to unpick it and, uh, and, and start looking at the detail. Andrew Wilson of the NFU. And if you want to watch videos from the conference itself, including that speech from Michael Gove in full, it's all on the NFU website.
I'll have uh, detailed weather for a cold week ahead in a moment and advice if you're a beet farmer. First, though, the latest on prices from Rebecca Pierce at Open Field. Another relatively quiet week with the trade returning after school holidays last week, not to mention the annual NFU conference where Michael Gove has promised the imminent publication of a consultation paper outlining the direction for UK agriculture in a post-Brexit world. Watch this space, eh? There's been some activity in world wheat markets this week at higher values than we've seen for a little while. Egypt have bought over 100,000 tonnes of Russian wheat and Algeria bought 360,000 tonnes of French wheat for May arrival. Our UK wheat market, however, remains very much the same. UK wheat is expensive and uncompetitive on an export front, so it remains about domestic demand, with those closest to that demand achieving the higher ex-farm values. With the bioethanol plant at Hull, Vivergo, showing no signs of reopening and fresh news this week of French wheat en route to Liverpool, I can't see a reason for old crop wheat prices to rally and I think we will continue to see the values we've been used to seeing at the farm gate as we head through spring and approach harvest. Our new crop wheat prices have seen support lately on the back of US wheat reacting to dryness in the US plains and currently new crop values are attractive. I personally look after the East Riding of Yorkshire and currently my growers are able to achieve around £140 a tonne ex-combine with £145 a tonne ex-farm available pre-Christmas. The market is currently talking about the incoming weather and forecasts of sub-zero temperatures across both the UK and Europe next week that could lead to winter kill in winter crops after plants have been left vulnerable by this season's unseasonably warm weather. A tender from Saudi Arabia this week has seen EU feed barley prices firm and domestically prices are supported due to continued good local demand and export opportunities. We've also seen new crop feed barley prices at attractive levels. However, I would say that they could see some pressure once spring drilling gets underway with a large area of spring barley looking to be planted when Mother Nature eventually allows you all to get on the land. There's an attractive forward carry for those who don't need to move grain off combine and can store feed barley into the autumn. Oilseed rate values have flatlined this week and are struggling to trade higher as they continue to look for a solid direction. Ex-farm values remain relatively unchanged as the focus remains around South American and Argentinian weather affecting their output. Let's just have a look at prices now. An old crop feed wheat is trading at 138 to 144 pounds a ton ex farm for March with no forward carry. New crop wheat off combine is anything from 135 to 140 pounds a ton with a pound per ton per month carry. The premium for Group 1 and 2 milling wheat continues to come under pressure with some consumers carrying contracts month by month. Premiums are circa five to ten pounds a ton dependent on your area. Old crop feed barley prices are trading at 128 to 134 pounds a ton ex farm for March with new crop 116 to 120 pounds a ton ex combine with a nice forward carry into the autumn. There is a premium for malting barley so please keep in touch with your local farm business manager. Old crop Oilseed rate values are trading at £288-292 a tonne for March, with new crop off combine around £285 a tonne. There is still a market for feed beans, around £150 a tonne ex-farm for March, and there are premiums available for the very best human consumption samples, around £25 a tonne.
All right, thank you, Rebecca. And of course, you're going to be at the uh, Lincolnshire Farming Conference as well, aren't you? Yeah, that's right, Sean. Myself, Kit Dickinson and Chris Spratt will be there next week and we look forward to seeing some of you there. We will. We'll see you on Tuesday. Thank you, Rebecca. And uh, we'll look ahead to the conference itself with its chairman in a short while. We are entering a cold snap, maybe the coldest since 2010, a year that uh, did badly affect sugar beet, you might remember. This time it should be OK. Let's get the latest from Nick Morris at the factory in Newark. Yeah, well, morning, morning, Sean. And uh, we'll start with the, with the obvious. We haven't had much of a break uh, from the weather over the last fortnight. Uh, it's the intermittent rain showers just generally being a bit of a nuisance stopping uh, field operations. However, the forecast uh, looks like uh, we're in for a prolonged period of cold, but thankfully dry weather, so that should actually help us complete the sugar beet harvesting. As, as we've already touched on, you know, a cold snap definitely on, it, on its way. Is that a problem for you? Uh, well, certainly uh, severe cold weather can cause difficulties with, uh, with the sugar beet campaign. However, we have to look at that in, contact, in the context of where we are. Um, and firstly, just say, crop that's in store is pretty tolerant to cold weather. So if it's out of the ground, put into store nicely, that shouldn't come to too much harm. However, our advice is when it gets to minus three, a sheet uh, on the outside of the clamp is, is preferable to protect the outside of the, 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 the sugar beet in store. But when you look at the crop in the ground, there's only about 2,500 hectares left to lift now, which is about 9% of our uh, crop area that we started with. And looking at the forecast for the next five days, it looks like we'll be receiving some cold weather uh, coming in from the east. Um, however, at the moment, it only looks to be dropping down to sort of minus three or minus four, which, as far as sugar beet goes, is not too significant, even if that lasts for, for a few days. Mm. Uh, I suppose also important to say that uh, we only really experience problems with, with sugar beet. If the roots are... Uh, well frozen and then subjected to a warm uh, period of weather where the beet actually then thaws and uh, subsequently deteriorates and when you look at uh, us having only four weeks left to go now uh, the time available for that to actually happen is pretty limited and if it uh, if it should happen uh, we should be in a position to prioritise crops for delivery uh, that have been subjected to that before they actually deteriorate so I think my feeling is I'm pretty calm about it. Uh, I think it's uh, it always pays to be uh, uh, diligent with these things and also um, expedite uh, some some management practices which can help mitigate uh, mitigate the risks. So uh, neatly onto that point, uh, my advice, given the weather forecast, it's definitely well worth uh, getting into any remaining crop uh, now with the machines. Uh, and get it into store in good condition now, ideally before any frost does set in, of course. Uh, however, if the frost arrives before the harvester, then it's important to leave the crop in the ground uh, and prioritise that crop for lifting, uh, but uh, not until the, the lorries can follow straight behind it. So as soon as it's out of the ground, get it delivered into the factory. But as always, if you're not sure, please call your British Sugar Area Manager and they'll be pleased to give you uh, the, the advice. Okay. Uh, well, what about the campaign itself then? As you say, about four weeks left to go. How are things? Yeah, that's right. Just just four weeks and uh, hasn't it flown by? <laughs> uh, I wish. But <laughs> <laughs> we're, yeah, 164 days in. That's about 85% of the way through. Um, and I'll start off by talking uh, about sugar content. So that's actually increased uh, uh, since I was last on your show two weeks ago by 0.2%. I was forecasting it to plateau. It's actually increased. It's not 
unusual for it to flutter around, uh, in, including uh, increasing at this stage of the campaign, but that actually puts the campaign average at 17.8%, uh, which is in line with the deliveries uh, of last week also. So um, I would say sugar content continues to be encouraging, and I wouldn't expect it to crash between now and the end. Campaign average dirt tear remains uh, very stable at 5.9% as it was two weeks ago. And we've now got 412 contracts which have finished uh, their campaign, currently averaging 77 tonnes a hectare, and that's up by one tonne a hectare uh, in the last fortnight. Factory performance, uh, we've had uh, one or two challenges and and difficulties to work through in the factory. Uh, We've had some uh, a shaft break uh, this last week on a uh, wet pulp scroll. So we got to weld that in the night, and that did cost us about 5,000 tonnes of slice on Tuesday. Uh, we seem to have uh, got over that and working through uh, uh, th- those challenges. And our factory throughput is now averaging 9,635 tonnes a day, and that's just about in line with our budget throughput. So we're doing OK, four weeks to go, fingers crossed for a uh, nice and stable end. Nick Morris from British Sugar. One man uh, feeling the cold out in the field, certainly will if it's as cold as predicted. Our agronomist, Sean Sparling, all wrapped up, ready for the Siberian blast, Sean? Yes, good morning, Sean. Another week down, another week further towards spring, but it doesn't feel much like it at the moment, does it? Um, Forecast for some snow and some real cold stuff coming over the next week or so, but we've heard it all before. It may not come. It might be the hottest February on record before we're done. We never know. We get what we get. That's all we can have. And just touching on Minette Batters of NFU, I think it's awesome that Minette has got that job because it's she is absolutely the right person for that job. You need somebody with character, with charisma. You need somebody who has opinions and is not afraid of expressing those opinions in a way that helps rather than hinders. And obviously that, that word gestalt, where the whole is greater than the sum of the individual parts, sums up the NFU completely. They are a movement and with the team that Minette's got behind I think going forward with the pressures and the problems we're all going to face over the next few years as Brexit hits and passes and what happens beyond that, we need a solid, strong, well-respected, world-respected team in that chair. And certainly Minette is in that position to do it. So absolutely congratulations to Minette Batters for becoming the first lady or female president of the NFU. Brilliant. Um, Right, let's get back to agronomy because that's where the nuts and bolts are, isn't it? Um, It's difficult. We've had another week of cool weather. We haven't had a lot of wet, but it really hasn't dried an awful lot. And, you know, when people are struggling to drill barley on the heath once the frost's gone out of the land, you know how wet it is underneath. All we can do is pick fields off one by one. They're ploughing and drilling on some of the lighter heathland this last week, and that's how we have to do it. You just pick them off. But, you know, there's no point forcing it. It is early days. We're still in February. It's still winter, and the weather's going to prove that to us with a vengeance, I think, next week. So we can only do what we can do, and we will only get what we get when it comes to the weather. Um, Let's start, then, with the crops that are already in the ground. Oilseed rape. Light leaf spot levels, I have found a little more this week. Maybe one plant in a 100, I'm now finding, where whereas a week ago it was one plant in two or three hundred. Now, there is a reason for that, I think. Um, some of this is because it hasn't really been conducive for light leaf spot to flourish. It hasn't been warm weather. It's been wet, but it hasn't been warm. And I think one of the reasons is it just sits there in the leaf. It's a latent thing. It'll sit in the leaf. If you put a fungicide on four weeks ago, you would think, well, I'm going to get three weeks 
protection from that because that's all you ever do. But as I've said before, if the weather is keeping things cold, if the light leaf spot is not moving within the leaf, albeit there, if the leaves aren't growing and the crop's not moving because it's too cold for it to move, that three weeks protection that you got from a fungicide three or four weeks ago was irrelevant because the weather's done the job for you. And if that light leaf spot starts to appear now, you have to deal with it now because the fungicide you put on won't be doing any good at all. So just monitor it. I mean, there are a few thresholds for light leaf spot. Watch your varietal capacity and capability of dealing with it. Look at the, the varietal rating for light leaf spot and prioritise the worst fields. But don't just assume that if one's got a seven, it'll be OK. Keep an eye on them. Because what we find is that in round figures, if you've got one plant in ten affected by light leaf spot, you need to be dealing with it. You could time it in with something else. But for goodness sake, make sure you know what you're dealing with. Spot check initiatives there. The warm air and cupboard with the leaves in a polythene bag, that's there for you as well. Just check it and look at it. It's not going to get any worse. It's not going to romp away until things start to warm up. So as long as you have a fungicide in place, when that leaf light leaf spot starts to move, you've done the right job. So understand how the diseases work and speak to your agronomist and make sure you're doing the right thing because just blanket bombing fungicides every three weeks is not the way to proceed. Um, other things in all seed rape, the black grass is really going home now and people are starting to think about that first dose of nitrogen sulphur on these crops and rightly so I think and those people who put it on um, three or four weeks ago were patting themselves on the back early this week as these rape and wheat crops started to pick up after the bit of nitrogen they've been given but if you look at the fields that hadn't been top dressed with any nitrogen they greened up as well and that's because that little warm spell we went through warmed the soils, it started to mineralise, release nitrogen and that's what you're seeing, the release of nitrogen in some of these fields. Looking at it now, looking at the forecast, I think we're in for a bit more winter. So whether it's the right thing or not, personally, I don't think it was. I think biding your time and getting it on now is probably better than putting it on four weeks ago because we don't know how much you've already lost through leaching because we've had some rain. Um, winter cereals, as I said last week, very little change. There is rust out there. There is mildew out there. There is septoria out there. Start making your plans. Look at your varieties. Siskin, for example, nice clean variety. Doesn't really respond as well as other varieties would, like reflection to a fungicide programme. Speak to your agronomist. Look at the field. See what you're dealing with because that could be a situation where you might be able to save a few quid on your T0 spray. So look at the options. Don't just assume that you have to put four, five, six, seven fungicides on because that's what you've always done. Every field on its merit, every variety in that field on its merit, and every agronomist out there should be making these decisions as they go, which I am sure they are. So hopefully we don't get too slaughtered by the weather next week, and we'll see where we sit in seven days' time. Uh, thank you, Sean. Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. So we have talked about the weather. Now let's just see how cold it's really going to to be. The Farming Programme. Five day forecast. It's a difficult one this week. It's what's known as a forecaster's nightmare, really. Um, there is the possibility of some significant snowfalls. It's all down to the easterly wind, which will be very dominant throughout the week, generally gusting around 15 to 20 miles an hour. The possibility, though, later in the week of some particularly strong winds, maybe gusting to 50 miles an hour. Bit early to say on that yet, but uh, we are certainly keeping a check on it. Now, if that wind is blowing more towards the south of the UK, then we might escape the worst of it. It's certainly going to be cold, but we may not get the snowfall that's been forecast. If it hits us head-on, though, well, all bets are off. So really, our hourly forecast will become crucial. Temperatures, we're looking at overnight lows down to maybe minus 4, maybe minus 5 Celsius. 
could be even uh, colder than that in more exposed parts. And daytime highs, lucky if they get above freezing, maybe three Celsius today, but then for the, le- the, the rest of the week, as I say, lucky really if they're just above freezing. Indeed, they might be below freezing during the day in some areas as well. So as I say, the hourly forecasts that we bring you are going to be crucial uh, this coming week. It is ever-changing, but uh, should there be any problems, of course, we will let you know. And the implications that could have, whether you're in farming or indeed whether you just want to be going to school or work, uh, will We'll let you know as the week continues. We're hoping for good weather for Tuesday. It's the Lincolnshire Farming Conference, as Rebecca mentioned. Robert Borrell is the chairman. So what can we expect? Every year, we, the Lincolnshire Agricultural Society put a, a farming conference. And this year, um, the conference is going to be farming in the future. So we're, we're looking at uh, how, how farming may change in terms of mechanisation over the future. So we've got some great speakers along. And it is important, isn't it, to be looking to the future, most definitely. Well, absolutely. I mean, technology's changed a lot, uh, even over the last mm. last 10, 15 years. But I think we have to look forward to looking at uh, robotics, self-steering tractors, uh, looking at drones to help us with uh, looking at pests and diseases in crops. You're still a young man yourself, obviously, but uh, you must have seen such advances in technology. That, as you say, the last... 12 months 24 months alone but uh, over the last i don't know 20 years or so well that's right thank you for the compliment about how some of the latest technologies have been sort of auto steering with tractors which is sort of uh, help with the precision i mean if you're if you're getting every four meters with a four meter drill uh, and uh, every 24 meters rather than 24 and a bit meters or 23 and a bit meters with a with a sprayer um, you could be saving five percent of your chemical doing five percent more output so i mean that's the latest thing but uh, you know the technology we're looking at uh, next week are our tractors that sort of are auto driving we've heard a lot about auto driving cars but these are looking at tractors um, we're also looking at the hands-free hectare where where a hectare of land uh, grew a crop last year with harper adams university doing the research work and uh, an agronomist didn't step on it it was all done by drones it was all uh, drilled uh, sprayed fertilized and even harvested by machines without anyone actually walking on that field so that that's amazing i mean it, it'll be a few years before that t- technology comes but we need to do the research in there in the morning we have a show and tell we've got the tractors operating uh, uh auto driving next week. we've got some drones flying around we've even got the fleet of robots coming from uh, university of lincoln so we're hoping that we're going to have a great great weather on uh, tuesday morning we can all see them all out out in action before we start on the conference proper in the afternoon and that's it that's a that's a new thing this year obviously every year the, the success of the conference is building this is now what the third fourth year uh, but the show and tell is something new isn't it well that's right we thought it was such an important area that uh, um, the only way we could get people to actually see what's happening is actually to 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 show them what the machines do. So we've got uh, palleting machines there uh, and, and, and drones sort of looking at different things. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a great day. We'll have highlights from the conference itself on the programme this time next week. Do please say hello if I uh, see you there. I know quite a few of you are going. I'll see you on Tuesday, possibly, if you're there. If not, as I say, highlights on the programme this time next week. Until then, have a good week's farming.